0: It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our sermon series entitled Grateful for Grace. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 12 starting in verse 37. But before I do, I want to talk to you about missed opportunities. Our sermon this morning is going to be about missing grace. I want to talk to you about missed opportunities. I've had a number of missed opportunities in my life. As I was studying for this message and kind of doing some research the the ancient kingdom of Rome really had a missed opportunity in about the fifteenth century. so Rome was the most powerful nation uh, on earth, and in about two eighty five a d Emperor Diocletian decides that Rome is too big to sustain just a single capital and so he develops a second capital city for the kingdom of Rome in Byzantium, which is modern day Istanbul. Rome was so big and so powerful it had two capital cities. Well, in 476 AD, Rome proper and its capital city of Rome was overthrown by the Visigoths, which were a Germanic tribe Led by the powerful Alaric. That just sounds tough, if you ask me. So Rome fell, but for the next millennia, uh, uh, the Byzantine Empire survived, although it was constantly under attack. And in the 15th century, a man named Orban had developed a new piece of machinery that he called a cannon and he goes to Constantinople who is currently the ruler of the Roman Empire in Byzantium and he offers Constantinople the opportunity to purchase his cannon let me give you some dimensions of this cannon it was 27 feet long with 8 inch thick walls trying not very mobile if you ask me uh 27 feet long with 8 inch thick walls and a mouth 30 inches in diameter. Constantinople thought that the cannon would possibly be a good investment, but his government was ru- running low on funds, and he decides not to raise the money to purchase the cannon from Orban. So Orban offers it to Constantine's enemy, the Ottoman Sultan Mehmed, who aims his new weapon at Constantinople's impressively thick defensive walls. And for almost 50 days and nights, he pounds the same spot with Orban's cannon, eventually creating a breach. And on May 29th of 1452, his army pours through ending the Byzantine Empire and with it, Christian domination of the East. You talk about missed opportunity. Had Constantinople just purchased that one piece of equipment, history would have been changed forever. But he missed what was literally right in front of his face. He could see it, he could touch it, he could feel it, and yet he missed out on the opportunity presented to him. Before we get into John chapter 12, I want to read you a verse... From Matthew chapter 23, this is verse 37. When Jesus was alive on the earth conducting his earthly ministry, and I've got this on the screen for you this morning. When Jesus was on the earth conducting his earthly ministry, there was a group of people who missed the opportunity of grace that Jesus was prepared to bestow on any and all who would freely seek after him. And that particular group were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Uh, we call them, and, and Scripture refers to them as Pharisees. So near the end of his earthly ministry in the, in the book of Matthew, and I think this is a very... Uh, succinct summary of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Jesus says to the Pharisees and to the religious leaders of his day, just like Orban had to be saying to Constantine after the walls of the Byzantine Empire had been breached, I gave you this opportunity I was literally knocking at your door with all the equipment and machinery required for you to win, but you simply would not listen. And that's Jesus' message to the religious leaders of his day. In Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. That's God sending the cannon just like... Orban sent the cannon to Constantine. That's God making a way when there is no way. That's God unleveling the playing field to favor His own people, the Israelites. Jesus says, "Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you together, as a, ch- as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing." In other words, Jerusalem and religious leaders and and those who have have heard Jesus' message, he's saying, I've given you every opportunity. I've longed for you to seek after me. But you have missed the grace that I have been willing to abundantly shine on your lives because you were not willing. And that's the message we see here in John chapter 12, starting in verse 37. So, I want to go there. This is the attitude of the religious leaders of Jesus's day, that he had given them every opportunity, that he longed to shower grace upon them, that if they would simply seek him, he would show them favor and bless them. But they simply were not willing. And so in John chapter 12, just to kind of give you guys some context, Lazarus has just been raised from the dead. If we're reading the Gospel of John, that particular miracle is kind of the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry. And I really hope, had I been alive at the time that Jesus walked the earth, and had I seen or heard that Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for days, so long that he stank, and he came walking out of the grave, grave clothes on, and has to say, loose this man from his grave clothes and let him go free, I hope that my heart would have been receptive to the grace that Jesus was trying to shed onto me. But that wasn't the case for every person who would have been familiar with that story. In John chapter 12, the Bible says this in verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, listen to this tragic next phrase, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because, as Isaiah said elsewhere, he's blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn. And I would heal them. In verse 41, the Bible says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory And spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise from men more than praise from God. There is a group of people in Scripture that miss the grace of our Lord. They were given every opportunity to receive the grace that God had uh, decided to bestow on them. They had seen the miracles of Jesus. Some even witnessed those miracles firsthand. They heard about Jesus' miracles. They understood the nature of what was going on. And some still chose not to believe. And this, this, uh, this uh, verse that we read from Isaiah shows us that those who choose freely... To miss the grace that God offers to all, to those individuals who choose freely to miss that grace and harden their own heart, God will then harden their heart so that they can experience the full pain and agony of a life lived apart from God in hopes that those individuals might turn and live that's why I wanted to give you that context for Matthew twenty three thirty-seven. Jesus had offered grace freely to all, and some chose not to receive that grace, despite the fact that they were familiar with the signs that Jesus did and his ministry, and some even saw that firsthand. Some still would not allow their heart to be convinced. So God hardens their heart in hopes that the pain and misery of them being apart from Jesus Christ and a relationship with God ultimately motivates them to repent and turn towards God and live this is one of the reasons Jesus spoke in parables and he communicates that in the gospel I'm speaking in parables Jesus tells the religious leaders of his day because you've hardened your hearts and so I'm speaking in parables because I want you to live in the misery that you're living in being away from God in hopes that the misery you're living in being away from God eventually motivates you to turn towards God, repent from the evil that you're doing, and experience true life. So if we look at this text, and if we really get into the New Testament, we uncover some reasons and some ways that an individual can miss the grace of God. We've been talking all sermon series about how abundant God's grace is and how thankful we should be for that grace. But we have to understand that it's possible to miss that awesome, magnificent grace that God wants to freely show on all people. And my sermon this morning is designed to challenge your hearts so that you don't miss the grace God's trying to bestow upon your life. If we look at this text, the first way we see that people miss grace is when they have a hardened heart. The first way people miss grace is when is when they have a hardened heart. Now, scripture gives us a couple of moments in time where where the heart of the of the convert gets transformed. One of these places in Ezekiel, uh, in Ezekiel chapter thirty six and verses twenty six through twenty seven, the prophet Ezekiel sees this valley of of dry bones. And compares it to the nation of Israel and and God says uh, through Ezekiel to those dry bones, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws at conversion, that stony heart. That's not sensitive to the leadership of the spirit gets removed from us and we receive a heart that is sensitive to the spirit And that's one of the most profoundly Satisfying qualities we experience when we're converted. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Feeling that old calloused heart of stone That was just beat up and made miserable by sin be replaced with a heart that is forgiven and redeemed And sensitive to the Spirit of God was so satisfying to me. But over time, the enemy intends for God's people to slowly lose their sensitivity to the leadership of that same Spirit. And when our obedience to the Lord gets soft, our hearts begin to get hard. When our obedience to the Lord begins to get soft, our... our heart begins to get hard. The Apostle Paul talked about this phenomenon to a young man named Timothy. He was trying to train for ministry. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first couple of verses in that chapter, and I've got this for you on, on screen this morning, Paul communicates that that can happen. That at the, in, at, at, at the last time, some will abandon their faith And they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars. Those individuals whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. These are individuals who have been converted. Who at one point in time had faith that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And who had received the grace God intends to show on all people through Jesus Christ the Son. These individuals were saved. And these people eventually abandoned their faith following the teaching of liars and hypocrites whose consciences have been seared like with a hot iron. And any of you who have ever touched a hot surface, there was, there was a time when I was younger and I didn't know the stove was on and I had seen my parents touch the stove to see whether or not it was hot. Because I guess in the olden days... People touched the stove instead of checking to see whether the knob was on. Some of, y'all, some of y'all still do that kind of thing. So for whatever reason, in my household, they'd touch that stove to see if it was hot. And then they'd know, right? So as a kid, what do I do? I touch the stove, and man, my hand just burned. Well, after that, I had less feeling in my hand. My hand had been seared. And as we're disobedient to the Lord... And we go against the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that conviction we feel in our hearts that God's designed us to feel as a result of going astray, wayward, based on the way the Spirit would have us to go, that conviction that we feel starts to fade. This is a very real process. And as our conviction starts to fade, it gets much easier to go wayward and much easier to go wayward. And pretty soon, I'm way far off the path that God's designed for me through the leadership of the Spirit to be on. The softer the level of my obedience, the greater the level of my hardness. And this is exactly what happened to the Pharisees. Their religion stopped becoming about true, authentic transformation and started being very self-centered and was all about what felt good in the moment, what was easy for them, and what gave them the biggest praise of men. And those temptations are still ours. For those of us who have been saved, man, for a long time in, 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 in my conversion, what felt good was just to have that sensitive, soft heart and be able to get in tune with the Spirit of God. But pretty soon you get used to that, you get familiar with that. You get used to praying and reading God's Word. You get used to people trying to inspire you from the pulpit. And it's easy then to start taking that familiarity for granted. And the power that was once in church and that was once found in the Bible and that was once inspiring singing praise songs pretty soon just feels normal. And after it feels normal normal for a while, it starts to become cumbersome and even bothersome. And if I'm not careful, my heart can become hardened after the Lord Jesus has shown the grace to me required to soften that old callous, sin-sick heart that he replaced at my conversion. Friend, you're going to miss grace in your life if your obedience to the Lord, if your commitment to to being obedient to the Lord gets soft. The other thing that's obvious from this text is that you miss grace when you have an undercover faith. You miss God's grace when you have an undercover faith. The group of people referred to here in John chapter 12 have missed the grace of God. These guys have seen the miracles. Their hearts are hard. Many of them believe. But those that believe are afraid to say because of what's going to happen to their reputation when people around them find out that they're believers. So they keep their faith undercover. And the Gospel of John does a really good job of teaching us the importance of bringing everything in our lives that was dark to light. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. A lot of us know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That happens as kind of Jesus is, is... um, communicating with a, a religious leader of the day named nicodemus who comes to jesus john chapter 3 verse 2 the first part of that verse He comes to jesus at night Undercover Later on in the gospel of john when Nicodem- uh, when judas betrays jesus in john chapter 13 As soon as he takes the bread in verse 20, he goes out from the table and what time of day is it? It's night He's undercover Right after Nicodemus and Jesus are talking in John chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus says those who do evil, they don't come to the light. They keep their deeds hidden because if they if they came to the light, everyone would see the evil deeds that they did, that they weren't wrought in God. But those who do good, they come to the light, that their deeds may be made manifest, that God really is, in fact, the person in charge of their life. I love, I love John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus says, to know the truth is to know freedom. And if we were to summarize everything I'm saying there in, in the Gospel of John, what, what I would say is that when you cover up your mistakes and your failures or even your faith, then you've officially gone undercover in life. I like the Gospel of Matthew here, and I've got this up on the screen. I think this is a really good verse to communicate what our role is as men and women of faith. When Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, He's telling His disciples that they should let their light shine before others so that others may see their good deeds and glorify their Father in heaven. If your life has been transformed by Jesus Christ Then don't miss the grace of God by keeping your light under a bushel or by keeping your faith undercover or by keeping your mistakes and your failures and your mess ups hidden. Man, live out loud. Live on purpose. Be bold about what the Lord has done in your life. Don't live undercover. Don't live in fear. Don't live ashamed. And I do really believe that our culture is becoming more and more hostile to Christians every single day. And if there's ever been a time in the history of the United States of America that tempts an individual to keep their faith undercover, it's now. It's very difficult to go to the workplace and be outspoken as a Christian. Sometimes, sometimes even I, if I'm out at a restaurant and it's super busy... And I get served my food. Before I pray, I kind of look around. And then I think to myself, Lord, what am I doing? I want people to to know, man, that I'm a Christian, that I'm thankful for the blessing of this food. And that I'm going to take a minute to glorify your name and voice my gratitude to you for giving me this sustenance right now. But it's hard in the culture that we live in to not want to keep our faith undercover. And if we keep our faith undercover long enough, pretty soon we abandon it. And that's ultimately what happens to the people in in Jesus' day. These guys got so consumed with fear of how their reputation would change if people became aware of their faith, that they decided they would just not voice it rather than be put out of the synagogue. And if you're in any situation where the name of Jesus wouldn't cause you to be more welcome, you probably shouldn't be there anyway and that's these people's fear the name of Jesus may cause me to be unwelcome here and i would say in your life if that's true you need to get out of that place anyway we also miss grace and this is a reading between the lines that i'm doing for you here this morning we also miss grace when we have a critical spirit we miss grace when we have a critical spirit I'm going to step on your toes a little bit this morning because I've already stepped on mine. Uh, you, you, I, and I taught about this a couple of Wednesdays ago. And I had so many people come to me and say, man, that really challenged me. And I've already planned on integrating a little bit of that into this sermon. that I thought I, w- I, would, I would include some of that for you again this morning. But you'd have to go to your Bible to Luke chapter 6 and verse 7 to realize the damage a critical spirit can do in the life of an individual. So in Luke chapter 6 and verse 7, Jesus is, is at, at the temple for worship. And there's a man with a paralyzed hand who's in attendance. And there's some religious leaders who are watching Jesus speak and teach at church that particular morning. So let me give you an idea of what really is going on. These well-meaning religious individuals, they come to a place of worship and the preacher gets up to preach, but this is no ordinary preacher. This is the GOAT. And those of you who don't know what that acronym means, it means the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. This is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's never been a better preacher. There's never been a better theologian. There's never been a person more aware of what's happening in heaven and the depravity on earth and what people really need who are in attendance. Jesus knew what the people in attendance really needed. Jesus understood the most important theology for them to get. He shows up in church. He opens the word. And these people are watching Jesus closely. And that phrase just is so terrifying to me. That these people could be watching the greatest preacher of all time, who was the greatest theologian of all time, who was most in tune with the congregation he was preaching to in terms of what their needs were, and these guys were in tune. They weren't missing a word. And the fact that they weren't missing a word didn't mean that they got a blessing. They didn't miss a word because the purposes of their listening were flawed. They weren't listening in a spirit of celebration. They were listening in a spirit of criticism. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And the truth is, some people who are attending church, probably not at this church, but at other churches, could not be blessed even if Jesus Christ came and spoke to them this morning. Even if the most perfect preacher on the history of the earth came and spoke to, to, to those individuals, they still couldn't be blessed. They're looking to see whether or not the preacher says all the right things. They're looking to see whether or not all his scriptures are, are perfectly exegeted and well documented with, with other theologians' viewpoints and original languages and proper biblical hermeneutics. They're wanting to see if he have a good introduction or a good conclusion or is his theology perfectly in match with mine. And even if Jesus was speaking, these guys couldn't be blessed because they bring a critical spirit to worship instead of a spirit of celebration. You know, you know, Jesus never attended church because it was the best church service he had ever been to. Jesus didn't go to church because it had the best worship he had ever heard. Jesus lived in heaven, y'all. He knew what the best worship really sounded like. And that's not why he went to church. Jesus didn't go to church because that's where his family was at. Jesus' father was in heaven. Jesus went to church as was his custom because he wanted to connect with God and nothing was going to stop him from doing that. In church it is so easy. Man, look, I know that in the last four and a half years of my ministry here I've made two mistakes while I'm preaching. I know I've made two mistakes. And I know I'm the second greatest of all time. Not the greatest. I get that. But look, you guys, yeah, that's right. Mark saying, I'm the third greatest. Uh, um, yeah, you guys have the option of coming here with an attitude of celebration and seeing the good that God is doing. Or you guys can bring an attitude of criticism and see all of the flaws. And I promise you're going to find them. I'm, I'm a flawed man. And we're a group of flawed people who are trying to pursue the perfecter of all of our flaws. And if you'll bring an attitude of celebration to this place, I guarantee you, 100% guarantee, you will be blessed. But if you bring an attitude of criticism, I don't care where you go to church, you're not going to get in touch with the grace of God, you're going to miss it. You don't believe that's possible? Read Luke chapter 6 and verse 7. This same verse is also essentially recorded and I wrote these down in Matthew twelve ten and Mark chapter 3, verse 2. How sad this is found in more than just one gospel, this story. I believe the reason it is is because God wants us to know the attitude you bring to worship dictates whether or not you miss grace. Think about that in terms of marriage. I work with lots of marriages every day. And if I had to to, uh, communicate to you what spirit is most likely to cause divorce in a marriage, I would say it's a critical spirit. A critical spirit and attitude is the most likely attitude to cause divorce in a marriage. Why? Because nothing the other person does at that point is ever good enough. Well, he brought me flowers. He must want something for me. You know? He said, I love you. He must have gotten a raise at work. You know, She was being real sweet and flirtatious. She must want some money. She cooked dinner and the house was clean. I wonder what she screwed up on her car today that I'm going to have to go pay for and fix. When our attitude, you guys, on some of that I'm, I'm saying jokingly, but I promise you this, I've heard every single one of those statements in my office over the last few years. And I'm going, dude, she cleaned the house, she looks cute, and food is on the table. Shut your mouth and be a man, all right? <laughs> Don't humiliate the rest of us men by acting like that. And if he comes home and says he loves you and has got a good attitude and is appreciative, young lady, you better get your tail in gear too and love on that man. All right, Don't humiliate the rest of the women on on the planet by acting like that. And, And some of you guys who have lived through seasons of criticism in your marriage know exactly what I'm talking about. It was like, Trent, I just thought I couldn't win. But when you start to celebrate your marriage, and when you start to celebrate your spouse, you can't lose. That's exactly how it works in churches, friends. Man, if you'll, sell, if you'll bring that attitude of celebration, even if I'm talking, even if it's Trent. It's like, oh man, Trent's up today. But you know what, Lord? I'm going to celebrate anyway. That's your responsibility. So I want to hear some amen and some praise the Lord and some hands raising when I'm making my points from now on. Can I, a, can I get a witness this morning, church? The last thing I want to mention is uh, that you miss grace when man's opinion matters more than God's. You miss grace when man's opinion matters more than God's. A couple of thoughts here. The first is man's opinion will matter more than God's in your life when you value what you can do for yourself more than what God can do for you. When you start to value what you can do for yourself more than what God can do for you, you start to focus on the here and now rather than the then and there. And that's the temptation in my life. Man, you, get, you, you, you come out of the, the, the misery and the pain that you're delivered from when you're converted. And that sensitive heart is in you and you're following the leadership of the Spirit. But then a few years later, life happens. And it doesn't just feel good to feel good anymore. And the temptation is to take matters into our own hands and think with our own minds and our own hearts, how can I get through this? And when I start to value what Trent's intellectual ability or physical capability or, or any other thing in Trent's life can do for Trent, I become more consumed with what's going on between me and others than I do between what's going on with me and God. The truth is that we are most concerned with God's grace and presence in our life when we're, we're most grateful and in an attitude of praise towards him. If you've become overly consumed with man's applause, probably you've become under-consumed with your praise for the Lord. So sometimes it's just readopting that spirit of praise or that attitude of celebration to get you more focused on what God can do for you than what man can do for you. And in life, when we truly want to experience the grace of God, We have to understand and learn how to submit to spiritual pressure more than social pressure. There are some of you under the sound of my voice that are just right there on the thresholds of missing God's grace. Your hearts become hardened because of disobedience. Your commitment to being obedient to the leadership of the Spirit has softened and your heart has gotten hard. Or you're undercover with your faith. You were once a sold-out Christian, but then God transformed your life and you got a great high-power high, high power career that with, with makes great money. And now you're not as outspoken for your faith because of what other people could possibly think or how your reputation may change or the cost it might bring your social life if you'd really get on fire for Jesus again. So you're undercover with your faith or your, your spirit has become critical. You no longer show up to church to celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ and instead to criticize the way people are doing things. And instead of bringing an attitude of celebration into other areas of your life, you bring an attitude of criticism. Your marriage isn't good enough. Your job isn't good enough. Your kids aren't good enough. And, and that's all because your God, in your own mind, isn't good enough. Or perhaps you've just become consumed with, with what man and yourself can do for you, and not what God can do for you. Some of you out there under the sound of my voice are struggling with that stuff. I want to challenge you. If that's you, when I, when I close and pray, after I pray, I invite you to come forward and, and allow God to begin to soften your heart again and bring your faith out from being undercover and restore in you an attitude of celebration so that you become totally consumed with your Father in heaven And not the people that are here on earth. Bow with me. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And God, we just glorify your name this morning for giving us of your word. And Lord, we all... There are people in the Bible whose faith was abandoned and became a shipwreck. God, because they allowed their hearts to get hard and their faith to go undercover and developed a critical spirit and became more consumed with the applause of man than honoring you. God, protect each person under the sound of my voice from that situation. And let your grace reign in the lives of every person that attends this church and every church across the face of this world. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand while together we sing.